Our passage is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, and if you're wanting to follow this in the Bibles, it's on page 1018. Second letter of Peter at chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Vivian, for reading for us. And what a privilege to be gathered under God's word together today. Um, we're in 2 Peter chapter 1 in this morning session, which is on page 1018, just in case you've lost it. And there is an outline in the book that you were given, if that's helpful for you in following along. Do you have everything you need? You race out the door only to discover, oh, my lunch is still in the fridge. Or as I recently experienced, that your keys are on the other side of the door as it slams shut. Or maybe you're the one at home who's always calling out, are you sure you have everything you need? Only to get that panicked phone call 30 minutes later asking you to deliver said item faster than Deliveroo. But perhaps even more tragic than not having what you need is when you have it, but you don't realize it. So this, uh, there was a, a time when my husband, Raj, uh, was abroad and he lost his passport. So panic and hundreds of pounds later, secured an emergency passport, only for the real passport to show up 12 months later in his security pocket of his wash bag. It was so safe we couldn't find it. Um, yeah, uh, and I have to say, I'm not much better, so I was on a call with someone last week, and I needed to see an email they had sent. So I reached for my phone to open up the email and started panicking. I can't find my phone. What did I do? I can't find it. I can't. And I thought, oh, I'm talking into it. <laughs> I thought, it's, it's terrifying to think, I, I need this thing, but I don't have it. And such relief when you realize, oh, I do actually have it. Do I actually have everything I need? It's a question you might have been left with after Vivian finished reading for us. Because chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do I really have everything I need for a godly life? Well, in our first talk this morning, Peter's going to share with us three things. He's going to tell us one truth, so you have everything you need for a godly life. One response to that truth, so make every effort to grow in godliness. And one motivation to do that, which we'll end with. But before that, let's take a step back and think, well, why is Peter talking to us about godliness, about growing in godliness? And we can't look at all of 2 Peter today. So the plan for this talk is we're first going to take a two-minute helicopter view of the letter, and then we're going to jump into chapter 1, okay? So firstly then, why is Peter writing? Well, it stems from what he knows about the future. So let's turn to chapter 3, which is just the next page, page 1019. And normally, you get told off for reading the last page of a novel first, but... For a Christian, it's absolutely essential to know where this whole salvation story is heading. You see, living committed to Jesus and straining for ongoing, lifelong growth in godliness 
will only make sense if we're sure about God's future plans for the universe. And Peter is urging his readers to factor the day of the Lord into their thinking. Now, we're going to see this in detail this afternoon, but for now, glance down to chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in short, where is everything headed? Well, 2 Peter says that Jesus will come back to destroy all that is ungodly and to make a new heavens and earth to take us home to the home of righteousness, godliness, moral purity. And that can seem like the stuff of an apocalyptic blockbuster movie, can't it? Or perhaps the agenda of the hellfire preacher, or maybe just a silly story. Which is why Peter ends his letter as he does. Have a a look down at verse 17 of chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so that there will always be teachers ready to twist God's word, Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter warns that false teachers will try to write off the day of the Lord and say, it doesn't matter how you live. But Peter says that Jesus really is coming back. So godliness really does matter. So that's the aim of Peter's letter. And Peter knows his time is short. He's making every effort to remind them of these things because of his imminent death and because of what's in chapter 2, the false teachers. And these false teachers are like secret agents. They seem to be Christians, but they are so sneaky that we might fail to see them for what they really are, because what they offer is appealing. They seem humble, reasonable, they're popular. They claim to offer freedom, do what's good, be true to yourself. But really, they're just lawless Bible twisters. They fashion a morality tailor-made to fit their sinful desires and to encourage you in yours. And they're saying, there is no day of the Lord, so you don't need to bother with all that hard graft of pursuing godliness. But it's just Genesis 3 on repeat, isn't it? It's not very original. Did God really say, you won't die, God won't judge. Do what you want. There won't be any consequences. So that's the helicopter overview done. So with that certain day of the Lord in view and the threat of false teachers in mind, let's dive back into chapter 1, so back to page 1018. As we wait for the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells, do we have all we need? Which brings us to the first point on the outline, verses 1 to 4. We've been given all we need for a godly life. 
As I read verse 3, I want you to look out for what God's power is doing in this verse. So verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you spot it? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're going to feel like I'm a broken record by the end of this day. I'm really sorry. But God has used his infinite and inexhaustible resources of power to give us all we need to live lives that honor him. Now, this is the same power that rescued his people from Pharaoh, that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought us from eternal death to eternal life. And now, in the humdrum, mundane, every day of normal life, he has given us, up front, in full, all at once, everything we need to live a godly life now. And what does all mean? Well, it means nothing is held back. There's nothing extra to find. We have full access to it all. So we don't have the dinky toolkit from Little or that little lonely, you know, Allen key from Ikea. <laughs> For fans of the repair shop on the BBC, we've got the keys to J-Blade's shed, okay, with every tool we could possibly imagine. I wonder how you'd finish this sentence. I could be more godly if I had... What would it be? A retreat and deeper experience of Jesus. But to, to be around more spiritual people. Sleep. No more hot flushes. Sun. A job. A garden. A friend who really knew me. Fewer difficult people in my life. Just different life circumstances. No more shift work. Family who are actually Christian a healthy body, a stable mind, to not be under my parents' thumb, a more supportive church family, a different living arrangement, a bit more financial security, a different upbringing, to be able to erase the past, more energy left after caring for others, cooperative hormones. What would you say? Well, how is living a godly life possible then? Let's look down to the end of verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter says that all you need to live a godly life is knowledge of Jesus and Jesus' promises. It's all about knowing Jesus, which just sounds a bit too good to be true, doesn't it? But it really, really is true. And for those here who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you received the full package needed for a godly life from the day he saved you. We have his precious and very great promises, everything up front and in full. And there are many precious promises of Jesus that we could recall, but the particular promise Peter has in mind in his letter, as we mentioned at the start, is the promise that Jesus will return again to judge the world 
and to rescue those waiting for him for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He's coming back. So what ingredients do you need to bake a godly life? Know Jesus. Know his promises. We have all we need for a godly life because we know him. We actually know him and have his promises. His divine power has granted to us all needed for life and godliness. Which begs the question, well, how can I be sure I have true knowledge of God and the true promises? Where do I find them? And Peter's going to go on to make this super clear in the back half of chapter 1 which we don't have time to look at today. So look down at verse 1 with me. If you want to know Jesus and his promises, stick with Peter and the apostles. And it's going to make that point right here from the beginning of the letter. So just stick with me here for one minute, because this will be massively reassuring if we can get our heads around this. So let's look down at verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how is it that the readers of Peter's letter have a faith that is equal to that of Peter and the apostles? Well, verse 3 and 4 explain the process. So we'll just work our way through it. So verse 3, his divine power has granted to us, so remember who's writing, this is Peter, Peter talking about himself and the apostles, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, Peter and the apostles, to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, Peter and the apostles, his precious and very great promises so that through them you, dear readers, may become partakers of the divine nature. So in a nutshell... Peter and the apostles knew, saw, were with the real Jesus and got his real promises. And as long as we stick with all that Peter and the apostles have passed on to us, then we know the real Jesus and have the real promises in his word. So we're just as well equipped for growth as the original insiders, the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and words. So as we stick with Peter and the other apostles, we have access to all we need for life and godliness and can read verses 3 and 4 as our own. Which means it's dangerous to our spiritual health to move on from all that Peter and the other apostles have passed on to us about Jesus. And that's what the false teachers are encouraging. If we cut ourselves off from the apostles we are cutting ourselves off from knowing the real Jesus and having the real promises from all we need for life and godliness. And it's why the Bible is at the center of a day like today. So as we get the Bible open and we grow in knowing Jesus more and better together, we're chatting after talks about what we've been hearing, we're helping each other to grow in love for Jesus, his word, and what it looks like to know him, So, we have all we need for a godly life. And if you're here today and you wouldn't consider that you know Jesus, I am so glad you're here because this is what being a Christian is all about, knowing Jesus. 
And later on today, we'll see why it matters so much. But if you call yourself a Christian, I wonder what you make of all of this so far. Has the Lord actually loaded us up with the ultimate survival pack for a lifetime of godly living? We could find ourselves blaming God for not giving us what we think we need to grow. Well, of course I can't be godly in that area of life because you haven't given me dot, dot, dot. Or perhaps for you, it sounds more like, it's trickier for me to be godly because they aren't facing what I face. And all of the ups and downs of life in a fallen world, it does often feel like his divine power really hasn't given us everything we need for life and godliness. And as I shared earlier, I regularly feel this frustration deeply, and it does cause me to despair. For me, the chronic fatigue that makes me feel like I have eternal COVID, the excruciating endometriosis, the long-term difficult relationships often expose, I don't actually feel I have what I need to change, to grow. And I do have to kind of talk to myself and remind myself that feelings are not always the best truth tellers, but God is, and he doesn't lie. And he knows how hard it is to be a human being striving to live a godly life in a fallen world. So think back to everything we've been seeing in Hebrews. We can be godly because knowing him is all we need for godliness. It would be wonderful to chat together over coffee about how we can help each other believe this and how to resist looking for a silver bullet solution outside of all he's given us. So knowing Jesus is the big deal, the bottom line of the Christian life. It's what begins and ends Peter's letter. Keep growing in knowing Jesus and his promises, for then you have all you need for a godly life. Which brings us to point two on the outline. So verses five to eight. So make every effort to grow in godly living. Let's read from verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." Because you have all you need for godly living, you know Jesus, you have his promises, so, says Peter, make every effort, exert yourselves to giving your all to growing in godly living. You have all you need for it, so go for it. But let's be crystal clear, and it's really important you hear this bit. This is not an attempt to earn our salvation or to gain anything that's lacking. And the end of verse 4 underlines this. So having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. We have escaped. So we make every effort not to earn anything or to save ourselves because, listen, we already know Jesus, don't we? We've already been rescued out of the world and we have his promise that he will return for us. So please don't miss this. We pursue godly living not to gain 
anything extra, but because Jesus has given us all we need for a godly life. Which is helpful to remember, because this list of seven things to grow in is pretty daunting, isn't it? There's not a particular order to this list, and it's not saying, well, you've got to master this one before you can practice growing in that one. But it's like Peter is sketching a picture of what a Christian looks like, um, which stands in stark contrast to what the false teachers look like in chapter 2. And this list also gives us a snapshot of what Jesus is like. So remember point one, knowing Jesus is all we need for growth, and growth will mean looking more like Jesus. Peter begins this list telling us we're to supplement or add to our faith, and faith here just meaning the gift that's given by God, that belief that what God says is actually true, despite what our eyes can see. So I thought it'd be good to spend a few minutes in verses 5 to 8 thinking through what growing to look more like Jesus would look like. So the first one, to add to your faith, to your faith, add virtue. It's kind of a, a funny old word. We don't use loads anymore, but it just means excellence or goodness. And 1 verse 3 told us that God calls us to his own excellence, to be like him. And herein lies the challenge because so often, I know I do this, we measure our own goodness, our own moral purity compared to those around us. But we're to add to our faith Jesus-like goodness, which will never be fully completed until the day Jesus returns. And to virtue, add knowledge. This is not talking about dry facts or the ability to walk around with an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. The knowledge here means a personal, intimate knowledge, like the widow who remembers with a smile how she and her late husband could just finish each other's sentences. A knowledge like when your friend buys you a treat she knows you want, but you wouldn't dare ever buy for yourself. Like when a mom knows her mom's cry despite not being able to see them across the playground. Peter says we're to grow in knowing Jesus, knowing more of what is he like, what does he love, what does he hate, what has he said. Again, this isn't about attaining new insight or new information about Jesus, but a deeper, more mature grasp on what we already have in him and who he is. If we want to grow in knowing the real Jesus, well, we'll spend time getting to know him in his word, which Peter and the apostles have passed on to us. And to knowledge, add self-control. The idea that we would seek to control our desires is pretty bizarre to the rest of the world, isn't it? The I see, feel, hear, want it, so I'll just take it, do it, say it. It's restraining our tongues from saying what we want, when we want, how we want. It's resisting the temptation to have one more drink than is wise, or to spend more money than I have because it's been a hard week. It's not entertaining the, the attention of a relationship we have no business pursuing. It's disciplining our minds to stop fretting about worst-case scenarios and replays of all our past failures. Jesus has rescued us, and our life is no longer our own. When an opportunity to sin presents itself, will I grow in saying, no. Make every effort to grow in Jesus-like self-control, who, 
rather than doing what he wanted, said, Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And to self-control, add steadfastness. This is the ability to persevere, to keep going, a willingness to put up with tough times because you know something better is ahead. The ability to value plodding as a legitimate way through the day. Following Jesus has infinite joys, doesn't it? But it is pretty tough to keep plodding on a lot of the time. It's hard to keep sticking out like the weirdo, to keep believing what Jesus says when it's so unpopular and so costly. The sin battle is fierce, the world keeps attacking, and Jesus still hasn't returned. Jesus knows what it is to persevere. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So don't give up, dear sisters. Read the end of the story and just keep plodding. And to steadfastness add godliness. Someone said it well when they said that godliness is a deliberate portfolio of decisions day by day that pleases God. It's having a very practical awareness of God in every area of our lives, seeking to be more like Jesus as we know him more. And to godliness, add brotherly and sisterly affection. We're to grow in family-like devotion to our brothers and sisters in Jesus, remembering that we're all on the same team, believing we need one another, being able to appreciate our differences because we're all part of one body and every person is needed. It's remembering that the Lord Jesus was pleased to die for that brother or sister, just like he was for me. And some of us will despair. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. Hold on just a second. I'm missing the page. My page is the wrong way around. I'm really sorry. Um, my kids put these in for me. <laughs> I should have checked it before that. I thought we're missing love. Where's love? Okay. Right. Here's love. <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. I hope I don't get messed up again. Oh, dear. Bear with me. Okay. And to brotherly and sisterly affection, add love. So growing in love, we'll be seeking to love others. Christian or otherwise, as Jesus has loved us. And how has he loved us? Well, before we loved him, taking the initiative at great cost to himself. Love is patient, kind. It doesn't brag or kick you while you're down. Love is reasonable. It bears patiently with quirks. It prays. Love lets them pray for me. Seeks their good rather than plotting their harm takes an interest in their spiritual well-being, spurs them on in tough times, says behind their backs what you would say to their face. Love forgives. Well, it's quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> but by his power, we have been given everything we need to grow in godliness because we know Jesus. But... There's a very real possibility we could be left with an unrealistic expectation of what this growing is going to look and feel like. And some of us will despair because all of these traits are perfectly radiating from our lives every moment of every day. And others of us will take a more relaxed approach. We're going to pick one we're already doing better in than that person across the room and think, job done. And some of us still just might not even know where to begin. 
And this isn't a perfect or definitive list by any means, but here's a few thoughts about where we could start if we wanted to grow. So the first one, I've got four of them. The first one is pray. So there's going to be no surprises here, okay? You can probably tell where this is going to be going. But let's pray for his help to want to grow. Pray we'd practice growing in godliness across our whole lifetime. Pray that the Lord would show us areas in need of growth that we're blind to. Let's pray about the areas that we're most reluctant to or daunted by growing in. And let's pray he would give us specific opportunities to grow each day. I find thinking back over the day and confessing my sin to the Lord does make me aware of repeated patterns of ungodliness. Ah, we might say, but I don't want to know which areas I need to grow in because God might answer my prayer. Well, Peter says, make every effort. Second one, I think you're going to know which one is next. Prioritize time in God's word. So prioritize time in God's word. It's extraordinary that we can actually know the one who made us, the one who saved us. And we've seen that it's in the Bible that we find all we need for godly living. As we sit under his word, we know him more. And there will always be more of him to know. So if we want to be ever-growing, then we need his word in us. So personally, with daily time in the Bible, on Sundays in small groups, perhaps reading the Bible one-to-one with someone. Because growth is not going to come naturally. We need the supernatural power of God's spirit working through his word to change us. Number three, talk to other sisters in Christ. So close friends, those in our small groups, those we live with, just someone you trust can be a great help in thinking through, well, what are my blind spots? Where do I need help to grow? Who could be praying for my growth? Who can help me thank the Lord for the growth I'm making, despite it feeling like I am making no progress at all? We need each other in making every effort to grow in godliness because of the ups and downs of life. I've got a few women who I regularly contact to help when I've just lost it with the kids for the fifth time or I'm just entrenched in full-on passive-aggressive mode with Raj. I think I'm probably most aware of my ungodliness with those closest to me. So get help from each other. Make every effort to grow. And the last one, number four, don't forget to take the long view. It is not going to all happen at once or perfectly in our lifetime. Growth, forward progress is the aim, regardless of how small it is or how feeble it feels. It's often going to feel like you're not making progress, progress, which is where others can help us see what we can't. And I asked several older Chalmers women, who I would love to be when I grow up, if they find the fight for godliness gets easier, stays the same, or gets harder. And all of them said, it never gets easier. They also said that though you're growing and knowing Jesus more, you also grow more aware of your sin and failings. Okay, so we've established we have all we need for a godly life through knowing Jesus. And so we're to make every effort to grow in godly living. But there still is an unanswered question of why. Why Father, Jesus has already forgiven me. Do I really need to go to all the trouble of making every effort to grow? 
Which brings us to our third and final point. Verses 8 to 11. Why bother with growing in godly living? Because it's worth it. So let's read verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that she is blind, having forgotten that she was cleansed from her former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter gives us two huge motivations to show why godly living is worth it. So firstly, growing in godly living has massive benefits in the here and now. And if we're honest, I think most of us long to be effective and useful, and we fear being useless. Peter says that if you want your knowing of Jesus to be useful, effective, fruitful, then keep practicing godliness. Now, I was once given some knowledge of Microsoft Office in my 2001 computing class at uni. Uh, I have to say, I didn't keep growing in my knowledge of how to use Excel or PowerPoint, so what I used to know is pretty much utterly ineffective and useless to me now. I think opening a Word document is pushing the limits of what I, can, what I can do. And you don't want knowing Jesus to end up like that. Verse 8 says that if we are growing in those qualities of verses 5 to 7, we will be effective, fruitful, and productive in our knowing Jesus. And Peter makes the same point negatively in verse 9. So whoever doesn't have these qualities, and they might just be in embryonic form, they've got a rare disease, myopic amnesia. Peter says lacking these is like being so short-sighted that they might as well be blind. So this person has lost sight of the future, and so their vision in the present is impaired. And they've forgotten that they were cleansed. Ungodly is no longer who they are. Generally, growth is something we desire in other areas of life, like in business, or amassing TikTok followers, or gardening. So think of how hard some of you work for that first strawberry in your allotment, or that first little basil leaf on your window ledge if you don't have an allotment like me. And so, no desire to grow can be a real cause for concern. When Josh was one week old, he was losing weight. Uh, he wasn't growing like he was supposed to be, so we got sent back immediately to hospital to kind of beef him up. And so, if we don't want to grow, or seem to not be making progress in any area, then it's worth exploring why that is. We have been given all we need. So making the effort to grow has massive benefits in the here and now, but also in the future, verses 10 and 11. So Peter goes on, verse 10, because you've been cleansed and because you know the end of this story, verse 10, therefore, sisters, be all the more diligent, be eager to make your calling and election sure for, and this, I think, is pretty extraordinary, 
If you practice, which is just a reassuring word, isn't it? These qualities, you will never fall. Daily cultivating your relationship with the Lord will keep you from losing your footing. Keep growing in these qualities. Keep practicing godly living. And you won't lose your eternal stability. And then perhaps the most moving, precious, and wonderful motivation of all to make every effort to grow in godliness. Look, at, look with me at verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a motivation to make the effort to grow in godliness now. Your Lord and Savior, standing at the door, welcoming you home to his home, the home of all that is good, lovely, pure, spotless, the home of righteousness. All our feeble and faltering efforts to keep growing in godliness rewarded. Making every effort to grow in godliness is not a waste. It's wonderfully useful in the present, and it's worth it eternally. Now, we're going to leave point four on the outline, but if you are now convinced that, okay, I have all I need for godly living, but you're still concerned about the reliability of it all, then go away and read verses 12 to 21. So as we close, I wonder, what is it that you might want to keep chewing over? Is it that you struggle to believe verses 3 to 4, that God has given me all I need to grow in godliness because I know Jesus? Or maybe for you it's verses 5 to 7, to be making every effort to be growing in godliness. I think most of us need the constant reminder of verses 8 to 11 that it's worth it. I would suspect that many of us don't think all that often about the return of Jesus and how it motivates us to godly living now. And the second talk will help with that later today. So, the question I asked at the beginning, do you have everything you need? Well, I hope now you would say, yes, I know Jesus. I have his promises so I can strive to grow in godly living because it's worth it. Well, please do come back for the second talk this afternoon where we're going to think in more detail about the return of Jesus and why it actually has everything to do with our living now. And I'm excited to kick the talk off with the most practical thing I have ever been told as a Christian woman. So we're going to take a short moment now just to think over one thing we're taking away from 2 Peter 1, and then Naomi will come up to pray.